Always fun to be together on a Thursday night. For anyone who's new or maybe just doesn't remember or know me, uh, I'm Sam Pitt. I'm one of the pastors here with Chi Alpha. Yeah. <laughs> and it's an honor to be with you tonight. Now tonight, we're going to continue our series that we started last week. Anybody remember what, we, what the series that we started was? Wow, that was like really synchronized. That was really good. Yeah, Acts. So we're looking at the book of Acts. Now, how many of you have started reading Acts since last week? All right, that's pretty good. That's a pretty good show of hands. That's awesome. Now, hopefully next week that'll be everybody's hands going up because as we're going through Acts, if we really want to get value out of this, if we want Jesus to move in our lives, we need to read the Scripture. And as we do, the Holy Spirit can speak to us, and we'll be primed and ready. When we come on a Thursday night, He's going to meet with us, and it's going to be powerful. All right? So I know my company has talked about this, and we're going to be reading four chapters of Acts a week. Uh, that's not that many. That's not that hard to do. And if you read four chapters a week, then you'll be through the book of Acts by spring break. Okay? So offer that to you. You should read along with us. It's going to be really good. So that's what we're going to be looking at tonight is a passage in Acts. But before we get into that passage, do I have any football fans here? Just a few. Just a few. Okay. All right. Just a few. Now, if you're not aware, currently the NFL playoffs are happening. Uh, we don't really need to talk about what happened last weekend. But the playoffs are happening right now, and that means that in just a few weeks is the Super Bowl. Right? So we're all going to go to some party with our friends. We'll have chips and queso, laugh at commercials, talk about how ridiculous the Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Eminem, Mary J. Blige show was at halftime. And, you know, there's also going to be a football game happening, right? So the Super Bowl is the biggest possible game an American football player can play in, right? You guys recognize that? It's the championship game for the NFL, which is the highest level of the sport. And so for a football player, an athlete, there is not a bigger stage than playing in the Super Bowl, right? You guys with me? That makes sense? Yeah, okay, cool. And there's no bigger prize for an athlete than bringing home a Super Bowl trophy. That's what they strive for. That's what their go the goal is every year. And if you're a football fan, you know that playing in the Super Bowl is a big deal for a player. A lot of players never even get a chance to play in a Super Bowl. Some get one chance. And so it's a big deal when you have a shot to make the most of it, right? All right, now let's say hypothetically, just for the hypotheticals, that your team is about to play in the Super Bowl, okay? It's good times, right? The biggest stage possible. And you can choose... Who is going to quarterback your team in the Super Bowl? Whose hands do you want the ball in on the biggest stage? Right? Now, one guy you could go with is a gentleman by the name of Tom Brady. I think we got a picture. That's not Tom Brady at all. <laughs> go back. Go back. All right, that guy. <laughs> Even if you're not a football fan, you know who Tom Brady is, right? Tom Brady, super famous. He's actually won seven Super Bowls, which is kind of ridiculous. That's by far a record for an NFL quarterback. And widely considered to be the greatest of all time. He's proven himself in the Super Bowl over and over again. Seems like a pretty good option, right? All right, well, here's another option. If you want to go to the next picture. All right, who's that guy? That's my hero. Uh, all right, if you can't tell, that's actually me uh, as a high school football player. Yeah. 
not a very good choice. Uh, <laughs> so I played high school football at a very small private Christian school. We played six-man football. That's how small we were, okay? And even in this very small league, I was not like some superstar. I was just like an average player, okay? I didn't even play quarterback, actually, in high school. So, right, if you had the choice between Tom Brady in the Super Bowl and that guy, it's a pretty obvious choice, right? <laughs> On the biggest stage, you want to put the ball in the hands of the person who's proven that they can handle it, right? That's been at the biggest stage, that's shown they can do it, that's come through and is reliable, not just some guy. <laughs> okay. Well, tonight in Acts, we're going to be looking at a pretty incredibly pivotal moment in church history. Okay, this moment was a huge opportunity for the church. Now, this is coming after Jesus ascends into heaven, which we looked at last week, and this is going to be the day of Pentecost, which is a really big feast for the Jewish people. And on this day, Pentecost, after Jesus has ascended, the first sermon in the history of the church is going to be delivered in front of a huge crowd. Now, here in Jerusalem, on the day of Pentecost, Jews from all over the world have come together. Okay, we got a map, actually, of, of kind of like the, yeah, right there. So, from all over the place, people have come to this one city to celebrate this feast, okay? There's people from uh, the north of Africa, from the edges of Europe, from Asia, from all over the world coming to Jerusalem in this moment, and they're all going to be here, and this sermon is going to be delivered in front of all of them, and this is a huge moment and a huge opportunity for the gospel to be shared and then quickly spread to different parts of the world. Right? Do you guys see that? This is a massive stage. So now, in this scenario, who would you want, whose hands would you want the ball in? Who do you want preaching this sermon? Right? Like, I feel like it'd be like, you know, Jesus, I know you just went up to heaven, but could you like come down for just like an afternoon real quick and just preach this message? Or at least send down like Elijah, you know, the fiery prophet, or maybe Daniel, or excuse me, David, or Daniel would be good too. <laughs> send David, the psalmist, you know, the man after God's own heart, or like an angel or something, right? But who do we get? Peter. Peter is who we get. Simon Peter. Now, that might not sound bad to you sitting here now. You, we tend to think of Peter as, as kind of like a hero. I mean, he did do a lot for the church. He's, you know, Saint Peter. But this is before all that, and we need to take a look at Peter's track record to this point. Now, he's recently just denied Jesus three times when he was going to the cross, right? And the third time, it says he denied him with cursing. I mean, you can imagine being like, I don't effing know that guy. Leave me alone. Like, it's pretty bad. Like, he's basically a step away from Judas at this point. He abandons Jesus at his lowest moment. We see even his best moments as a disciple just end in him falling short. He walks on water for a moment, but then he gives into fear and begins to sink. And it leads Jesus to say, why did you doubt? We see his highest moment comes in Matthew 16, starting in verse 15, when he said, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Like, okay, now we're getting somewhere. All right, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Well, let's see what happens just literally right out, like not even two verses later, just literally immediately. This is what happens with Peter. In verse 21, 
From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. That's not so good, Peter. That's not so good. Could you imagine Jesus looking at you and saying, Get behind me, Satan? I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty rough. Pretty harsh rebuke there. And that's right after his highest moment as an apostle. We see Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. He invites, Jesus to, uh, invites Peter to pray with him. And Peter can't stay awake. He falls asleep. They come to arrest Jesus, and Peter strikes out with his sword, which Jesus didn't want him to do. And he didn't even do that well, because he hits the guy in the ear. And how you know, if you're swinging a sword at somebody, you're not going for their ear, right? And Jesus rebukes him. And this is who we have. Peter, the fisherman, uneducated, poor, no real religious training, not any practice at speaking, always falling short, always failing. And now we have this huge moment in church history. And who does God choose to deliver this message? Peter, the failure, the one who keeps falling short. Now we're going to see what happens. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2. I've asked my friend Zach Walker if he wouldn't mind reading this passage for us. Now bear with us. Bear with us. It's kind of a long passage. We're going to go through most of the chapter. We're going to start in verse 1 and go all the way down to verse 41. So it's a long passage, but it's really good. So bear with us. Zach's going to read us through this. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Figria and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome. Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. On every male servant and every female servant, and in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. 
The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified him, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh will also dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I say to you with confidence that the, that the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption, that this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses." Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and and Christ, this Jesus, whom you now crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witnesses and continues to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day 3,000 souls. All right. Thank you, Zach. Man, he got kind of a tough assignment. That was a long passage, and there was a lot of names in there. He, he rocked that. Get you a hype man like Zach Walker. It's incredible. All right. Now, as we read that, did you catch at the end there? 3,000 souls were added that day. It's pretty good, Peter. It's pretty good. Now, I mean, that's, that number is kind of crazy. That's almost the entire dorm population at Sam Houston State. Like, if you imagine every single student living in the do every single dorm on this campus got saved in one day, that's basically what happened right there, okay? But, I mean, that sounds huge, but it's actually not even just that. Like, it's not just 3,000 people got saved. I mean, that sounds great, you know, put that in a newsletter. But 
it's not just 3,000. It continues to spread from there. Because in that 3,000, most scholars would say, is a man named Philip. Now, we're going to see in a couple of weeks Philip witness to an Ethiopian eunuch, and he's going to get saved, and he's going to bring the gospel into Africa. In that 3,000 is probably a man named Stephen, the first martyr who witnesses before many, including Saul, who had become the Apostle Paul. So this 3,000 is not just like, okay, 3,000 people, they said yes to the prayer, they, you know, they got saved, yay. No, like it's 3,000 people who met Jesus and are now spreading Jesus, right? So it's a lot of people that are touched by this. It's a really big impact. I mean, this is a huge, huge day for the gospel. Pentecost really is the start of the church right here. We see this explosion of the gospel going forward, and what happens at Pentecost drives forward the rest of the book of Acts, and honestly, none of us would be here without it. Now, this sermon that Peter preaches is absolutely incredible. We could dive into it in depth probably for a semester. Um, There's a lot here, but we're not really going to have time to break it down tonight. But isn't it just remarkable that the one preaching it is Peter, this same guy who just does nothing but fall short and let Jesus down again and again and again? Now, how did Peter, this uneducated fisherman, bring this incredible word? There's nothing remarkable about Peter. There's nothing special about him. Like we said, he's just a fisherman. He doesn't have any education. He's not well-versed in the Scriptures. He's not practiced as a speaker. He's not, like, particularly liked or anything. Really, the most notable thing about Peter is just the simple fact that Jesus picked him. There's nothing special about him. He's just some guy. And here he's come off tremendous failure, but he comes through huge. Like some random six-man football player going out in the Super Bowl and having a perfect game. It would be crazy. And that's what Peter does. It's pretty shocking. So how does he do this? How does failure after failure Peter go from the Peter of the Gospels to the Peter we see here in Acts? And it's not just like it's this one moment for Peter. He goes forward from here, and everywhere he goes, the Lord moves, and people meet Jesus, and it's incredible. So what changes? The secret is really that it's not Peter, at least not just Peter, but the Holy Spirit in Peter. Now, did you notice what happens at the beginning of this passage? Starting in verse 2, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound, like a mighty rushing wind, And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So what changed in Peter? Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. And this changes everything for him. The Peter we see in Acts and the Peter we see in the Gospels are not, they don't even seem like the same guy. And the only thing that changes there is that he has been filled with the Holy Spirit. When he goes up and he preaches this sermon, he's not going up there just as Peter, but the Spirit is going up in him. It indwells him and it fills him and he speaks through him. And the Spirit cuts to the heart of those listening and they respond. Now, we're talking about this idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit or, or baptized with the Holy Spirit tonight. For some of you, this might be pretty unfamiliar. We say, what does that even really mean? be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're going to unpack that a little bit. So what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit, like we see Peter and the apostles have here? Well, it's an encounter with God that's separate and subsequent to salvation. We'll unpack that in a minute. 
where he meets us and indwells us with the Holy Spirit and equips us with his power for his work. And this is what happens to the disciples of Pentecost. It's a marked moment where the Lord falls on them and equips them for his work. And it leads to change. Now, Henry Nouwen had this to say about what happens here in Acts 2. He said, without Pentecost, without this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the Christ event, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus remains imprisoned in history as something to remember, to think about, and reflect on. But the Spirit of Jesus comes to dwell within us so that we can become living Christ here and now. This is why Jesus said it was to our advantage that he left, so that the Helper could be sent. And this is why Peter is able to preach this incredible sermon, because he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he's like a little Christ. When this happens, the person of the Holy Spirit comes on board with us, like Jason talked about last week. It's no longer just us. And we see here it happens to the disciples, and they speak in other tongues as the Spirit gives them utterance. This is what we refer to as speaking in tongues. Again, I know this is not familiar to everybody. Some of you guys, it is pretty familiar. As we go through the book of Acts, we're going to see this over and over and over again. That wherever people give their lives to Jesus, they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and He moves in incredible ways. And this leads to all sorts of spiritual gifts and and manifestations and miracles. And as we look at the book of Acts, we're going to see some pretty incredible things the followers of Christ do through the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we talked about Philip a second ago, when we read that story about him with the Ethiopian eunuch, he's going to do some things and you're going to be like, what? Are you kidding me? But it's the Holy Spirit working in him. Now, like I said, for some of you this is familiar. Some of you maybe grew up with this. Some of you experienced this for the first time at Salt just a few weeks ago. And for others in the crowd, this sounds strange. Maybe you've never heard about this. Maybe you grew up in a church that didn't teach about this. Maybe even was against this. You know, ultimately, that was kind of my story. I grew up in a non-denominational church. Basically, it was Baptist, theologically, uh, without, you know, the name Baptist. And this church was a wonderful church. I'm so grateful for my church I grew up in. It gave me such a strong background in the Bible understanding of who Jesus was, but we never talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That was a totally foreign concept. Actually, my only experience growing up with this idea of the baptism of the Holy Spirit was there was this one guy I went to to high school with who came to class one week and was bragging about speaking in tongues over the weekend and had this really cocky attitude. And I was like, I don't know what he's talking about, but I don't think I want it based on how he's talking about it. And then I came to Sam Houston I got involved with Chi Alpha, and I heard a man that I really trust, Eli Gotro, talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I remember thinking, you know, if most people talked about this, I probably would have just checked, it, checked out and said, ah, that's not for me. I don't, I'm not going to worry about that. But when he talked about this, it was like, I have to listen to this because I know this man, and I know his walk with God, and I trust him. And I opened my Bible, and I read Acts, and it's right there. And I thank God that I've been filled with his Spirit, and it's not just me doing ministry in my power, but the Spirit has come on board and He changes everything. He equips and He moves through us. Now, maybe this idea of speaking in tongues just sounds kind of strange to you. And I know it's unfamiliar for a lot of us. It was pretty strange to me, too, when I first came around Chi Alpha. But it's a biblical thing and it's a blessing. You know, the Bible teaches that speaking in tongues is a form of prayer. In 1 Corinthians 14, 2, Paul says, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. When we speak in tongues, we speak directly to God, spirit to spirit. Now, you know, 
you know, the average English speaker has a vocabulary of around 5,000 words. Now, if you're like a super, super genius, you might have a vocabulary of around 15,000, maybe even 20,000 at like the most. But that's a, a limited vocabulary. And how many of us have been in a moment where we just didn't have the words to express what we felt or thought? The words failed us. Sometimes words just aren't enough. The words we know aren't enough. And sometimes we don't even know what to pray for. But the Holy Spirit knows exactly what we need. And He intercedes for us. Romans 8.26 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. It's a blessing. Now, some people might ask as we talk about this, like, are you saying that you have to be filled with the Holy Spirit to be saved? Like, you're not a Christian unless you have this experience? No. You don't have to be filled with the Holy Spirit to be saved. If we say it's a separate and subsequent thing to salvation, a separate and subsequent experience. Sometimes it can happen in the same night. But it's separate and subsequent to salvation. That means that it's not the same thing, and it comes after salvation. You have to be saved to be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? In fact... In Acts, we see Gentiles come to Jesus, and this is a pretty huge thing for the Jews. So up to that point, you know, Christians had basically just been Jews who gave their lives to Jesus. And then they see Gentiles, even though this is Jesus, that's not Jewish people, like Roman people uh, and other people. And they start speaking in tongues because they get filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Apostle Peter points at it as like, look, they've been filled with the same Spirit we have. Like, we've got to accept they're, they're part of this too. And so most of us in the room are Gentiles. So anyway, it's kind of a big deal. Now, you don't have to be filled with the Holy Spirit to be saved, but really that's not the best question when we approach this. Because as Christians, we don't actually do things just to try to get to heaven. Okay, that's not, that's not the point. If you came to Christ just because of what He can give you, and just so you can end up in heaven when you die, then you miss the point. The fact of the matter is, Jesus is worth following, not because of what He gives us, not so that we go to heaven when we die, but because He's worth following. Jesus is worth everything, just Jesus. So why should we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Not so much for what we're going to get at it. Look at what Peter did. Look at what, look at what God did through this fisherman, this uneducated guy. See, the truth is that what God does in us, He wants to do through us. And this is the meaning of behind Pentecost. That what God does in us, He wants to do through us. And this is why we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus told the disciples in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. See, we don't come seeking the gifts of the Holy Spirit, seeking to be filled with the Holy Spirit for ourselves so we can have a a deeper experience, or we can look cool, or achieve a next level of Christianity, or any of those things. We come because we want Jesus to be able to use us. What He does in us, He wants to do through us, and we are called to be witnesses. And because we're called, we want to be filled, because I don't want to try to do it alone. Now, the reality is that every single one of us is called to that. We are all called to be witnesses. There's no qualifier it's a command. Jesus said in Matthew 28, Go forth and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go and make disciples. That's not a suggestion. 
And it's not for some people. It's for all of us. There's no qualifiers. It's not like go forth and make disciples unless, you know, you don't want to or unless you're an introvert, unless you don't feel comfortable talking to people. Go forth and make disciples. Now, we look at our campus, and all around us are students who Jesus died for, who He longs for, and they don't know Him. He loves them, He died for them, and He deserves them, but they are completely living without Him. And what is His answer to that problem? Does He come down in the flesh and say, guys, come follow me? Does He send angels or like a Billy Graham? He sent you. Every single one of us in this room are His answer to that problem. We are His chosen instrument to reach the world, to reach our campus. Now, as you hear that, you may feel totally unprepared for it. Good. You should feel unprepared for it. It's like you're being asked to go play in the Super Bowl. Now, the only remarkable thing about Peter was that Jesus had chosen him. There was nothing special about him. But when he was empowered by the Holy Spirit and let God use him, incredible things happened. And it changed the world. You might not be the most sociable person. You might not be well-spoken. You might not be confident in yourself. You might not know the Bible very well. Maybe you look at yourself and you think, there's nothing special about me. Nothing remarkable here. And maybe you're right. Maybe there isn't anything special about you, at least in the eyes of the world. But Jesus chose you. He made you, and He loved you, and He came for you, and He died for you, and He is pursuing you, and that's the only reason you're in this room. The call to make disciples is universal. It's for all of us. It's a command. And if we follow Jesus, either we obey His commands, or we don't actually follow Jesus. Either we're going to be His witnesses, or we're going to be disobedient and He's not our Lord. Do we actually trust and obey Jesus? He said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. This means we must be witnesses to Jesus. If you are in Jesus, if you follow Christ, you are called to be a witness. You are called to make disciples. You can't argue with it. It's right in the Bible. And that's the heart of who we are in Chi Alpha. We believe in this call. We believe that Jesus called all of us to make disciples, that what God does in us, He wants to do through us. You know, the name Chi Alpha means Christ's ambassadors. This comes from 2 Corinthians 5. In verse 18, it says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us on our campus. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That is what we are all called to. It doesn't matter if you just got saved, if you're a freshman who gave the life to Jesus a week ago, if you've been here for 10 years, if you're an introvert or extrovert, if you tried to build a small group in the fall and it didn't work, it doesn't matter. God called you to be a witness, to make disciples. And that might be intimidating. It should be. How can I do that? How can I go out on this campus and make a difference? How can I go out and see people actually meet Jesus? 
We're not called to do it alone. God has given us the Holy Spirit, the helper, the advocate. And when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, He comes on board. And it's not us, but Christ making His appeal through us because we're full of the Holy Spirit and we're empowered for His work. Every student around us, every student we go to class with, every single day, Jesus died for them. He died for them. He paid that price for them. He loves them that much, and He longs for them. He deserves them. And so He sent you. What are we going to do with that? We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. If we're filled with the Holy Spirit changes everything. I'm no spiritual Tom Brady. (laughs) Just a guy. Peter is just a guy. But he was full of the Holy Spirit. Worship team, you can make your way back to the front, move towards a close. Maybe you're hearing this tonight, and the Holy Spirit's speaking to you, and you know, that's right, He is calling me to be a witness. I need to do that. It's biblical. But you know you don't have it in you. I can't play in a spiritual Super Bowl. I, don't, I wouldn't put the ball in my own hands. But God calls us and He equips us. Are you ready to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Let Him pour His Spirit out on you and equip you and indwell you and empower you so that you can be a witness. And this campus can transform. We can see the world change from Huntsville, Texas. If we will let God use us. He will come on board, just like He did with Peter, and give us all that we need. All we have to do is ask. In Luke 11, 9-13, says, And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? He wants to pour out His Spirit on us tonight. Just like Peter preached about, just like we saw in Acts 2. Tonight we're going to have an opportunity Come before the Lord and ask Him to pour out His Spirit on us. Ask Him to fill us, to baptize us, to empower us so that we can be witnesses. Not for ourselves, not so we can have a cool experience, not so that we can feel really secure in ourselves, or even closer to Jesus, but so we can be witnesses and advance His kingdom for His purposes. Some of you might be hearing that and maybe you're, you're just not quite sure about this. Maybe you have questions. You know, I don't really have time to do a full, in-depth theological breakdown of the doctrine of the baptism of the Holy Spirit tonight. There's lots of questions that might come up, and that's good. That's okay. If you have questions, that's a good thing. We want to talk with you. We want to explore this together. I'd love to talk to you after service. Your small group leader would love to talk to you. Maybe they're a little nervous too, but they'd be happy to talk with you. Your company leader, our staff. Let's look at the Word together. Let's 
wrestle with this and let's unpack this. We're going to be looking at this all semester because you can't really read the book of Acts without engaging with this. It's all over it. It's how the Lord built his church. But some of you are here tonight. You say, you know what? I do see the Lord's calling me to be a witness when I look at his word. But I don't know, I don't have what it takes. I want, I want this. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If that's you tonight and you're ready to say that, would you just stand up wherever you are? If you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit and be a witness on our campus, would you just stand up? Now we're going to have an opportunity here in a minute to pray and to seek God and to ask Him to fill us, to pour out His Spirit on us and to use us. Our staff is going to come forward. We've got some staff in the back that can come up to this kind of middle section and some staff in the front can come up here on this front wall. Be ready to pray with us that we can ask and, and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But I'm going to pray. The Lord gives good gifts to those who ask. Let's seek Him tonight. Lord, we love You, Jesus. We thank You, Father, that You came for us that you died for us, that you love us, that you chose us. Lord, we recognize your calling to make disciples, to be your witnesses. And Lord, we recognize that we don't have what it takes. We need you, Jesus. So God, would you pour out your spirit on us tonight? Would you fill us to overflowing and empower us for your work that we can go out tomorrow on this campus and be witnesses and see you move. We love you, Jesus. Would you meet us? In your name we pray. Amen.